Welcome back to the Master Your Voice podcast, a podcast for singers about singing. I'm your host, vocal pedagogue and soprano, Heidi Voss. So today I bring you an interview with the former director of the Los Robles Children's Choir. This particular interview was recorded in the spring of 2022, before the announcement that Dana Rouse would be stepping down as the director of the Los Robles Children's Choir. Now, I decided to air it anyway, just because there are lots of gems in here about music and teaching in general, and I think it's still very beneficial conversation for my listeners to hear, especially those listeners who are trying to think about how to encourage their young singers in the development of their voice. I am sure that I will have an interview coming up with um, the incredible new director of the Los Robles Children's Choir. It was handed over to Emma Roche, which I am so excited about, just this past summer. So uh, I'm sure I'll bring her on to have a conversation about her ideas and what's happening with that group going forward. But I did want to bring you this conversation with Dana Rouse. Dana's an incredible music educator. She's been working with children for the past two decades, and she has so much wisdom and a wealth of information for parents and for educators alike. And I am thrilled to be able to highlight her on this interview of the Master Your Voice podcast. Enjoy. I am excited to welcome Dana Rouse, the director of the Los Robles Children's Choir, and my amazing mezzo-soprano colleague in Sarafor to the Master Your Voice podcast. Dana, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Heidi. I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you. We've had a mutual love and respect for one another, but also a passion for training singers and encouraging the next generation. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation, particularly for people who are music educators, for parents, um, and anybody that wants to encourage the next generation of singers. So Dana, the first thing I have to ask about you, just because you might be new to some of my listeners, is to hear a little bit about Dana Rouse. So the question is, how did you get your start in music? And where has that journey led you throughout your life? Yeah, uh, great question. So I always knew from a really young age that I wanted to do something with music. It's I was kind of a single, singly minded uh, young person. I started singing in church when I was three or four. I mean, solos up in front of my whole church. I was very comfortable up in front of um, other people. I had good pitch, just kind of naturally had good pitch. Um, I started piano lessons when I was um, six. My parents enrolled me in piano lessons and I started taking piano and, and continued studying all the way through high school. So when I got to high school, um, I was a part of just the public school system in Caneo Valley. And there were many, there were several choirs. There was a magical group of, you know, kind of your concert choir. There was a women's choir. There was a lot of um, opportunities. The, the choral arts were really flourishing at my high school. I was very fortunate. And so along with the piano playing, I thought, oh, I, I love to sing. I'll get involved in choir. And so uh, Joyce Peterson, who was the choral director at the time, really took me under her wing. Um, she got me involved with playing for one of the choirs. So I was an, a choir accompanist. I was a student conductor for one of the choirs by the time I got to junior, about junior year, and singing in three or four of the groups. So pretty much my whole high school life kind of became centered around um, my piano lessons and, uh, the, and the choir singing and I, and I enjoyed piano. I mean, I didn't hate it, but I, I, I didn't, it wasn't my passion. I kind of was doing it more because my parents said, you know, kind of made this deal as a lot of parents do, you know, you need to keep taking piano. If you take it all the way till, you know, through high school, we'll do this or whatever, you know, what, I can't remember what the, what the carrot was, but, but really my passion just kept growing and growing for singing and for, um, teaching music just I loved watching Mrs. Peterson we called her Mrs. Pete working with the groups encouraging all these singers getting them to do make certain sounds and use their voice in a more healthy way and I just was um, fascinated by that so I knew I wanted to go into 
some kind of study of music for college. So when I went away to college, I studied at Biola University down in La Mirada, California. And I was a music education major with piano as my emphasis. But to get more scholarship money, I took, and I never took private voice lessons. I just was doing choir because my main instrument was piano. So I had a family friend give me two or three lessons to teach me one of the 24 Italian songs. I sang Caro Mio Ben, which a lot of singers sing for auditions. And I learned that for my audition. And when I went to audition, the, the voice teachers all asked, oh, how long have you been studying? And I said, I took two lessons to get ready for the audition. And they said, no, no, really. How long have you been? <laughs> you have a very operatic voice. How long have you been studying? And I said, I, I'm a pianist. That, that, and I, I mean, I sing in choir, but I haven't been taking private lessons. I just prepared for this audition. And so that was kind of the, the, the first time where some, you know, mentors and teachers vocally in my life said, oh, no, you, you've got to be singing. You've got an operatic voice. You've got a classical voice. You've got a really great instrument. And so they got me involved in, um, I got scholarship where I had to take voice lessons and I sang in the, in the choir and then kept doing piano. And so shortly after that, I switched from piano emphasis to uh, vocal performance because I, I realized that I wanted to go on and get more education past my bachelor's. So, um, so that's kind of how kind of the roots of, of my story, how I got inspired and, um, got started. And then I just got a lot of, I received a lot of encouragement at Biola to really shoot for kind of seeing a longer term vision of what do I, where do I see myself in, you know, 10, 15 years. And I knew I really wanted to teach. I knew pedagogy was really my passion. So that kind of led me more into the um, the graduate school route, kind of focusing on performance and pedagogy. So that sort of answers my next question in terms of was choral music or music ed your obvious path? It seems that you had markers all along the way that kind of pointed you in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I think, you know, music education, I started in music education because at the time, um, you know, that's just what you, what you were told by your parents and kind of more responsible people maybe saying, you know, oh, don't, don't go in for, you know, musical theater or performance, you know, you, you have to be able to pay your bills, you have to make a living. And so that's what started me in music ed. Um, But I quickly realized that I didn't really see myself necessarily in classroom teaching kind of K through 12. I really loved the one-on-one I, again, I knew very early on, probably freshman year in college, I love working one-on-one. I love vocal pedagogy. I want to develop singers really one at a time in more of a studio setting. And so that kind of directed me into uh, the path where you become an expert in your, in your instruments was a mezzo, you know, training for, for vocal performance and looking to that grad school path. Yeah. So then, then with that, with that, classical music bent, how is it you settled mostly on choral music at this point? Would you say you're settled on choral music? I kind of, or am I pigeonholing you wrong? Um, I mean, the choir stuff, the choir opportunities were what uh, really influenced me in high school because that was really, I didn't do, I didn't perform in any musicals. I didn't do any solo performing other than within the kind of the, you know, high school choir choral context. But once I came into the um, undergraduate phase of things, uh, I got much more involved in, um, you know, because I was studying privately and I had to prepare for recitals and and juries. And so I I was still singing in Biola Chorale. Um, I've always loved that, um, you know, collaborative element of a choral music and the repertoire. I love the rep. Um, but I was developing myself much more starting in undergrad as a, as a solo singer, you know, discovering, Oh, I, I can, I could be a, a real singer, you know, not just <laughs> myself as, Oh, I sing in choir versus a, a you know, real standalone uh, solo singer. So I, I started really developing my, um, my solo repertoire and technique starting in my freshman year of undergrad. That's wonderful. We're going to probably come back to some of that, like how brilliant the roots of your musical journey are in terms of getting you where you are now um, in a minute. But first, I want to talk a little bit more about or ask you a little bit more about getting involved in children's choirs and specifically how did you land 
in the Los Robles Children's Choir position. Yeah, it's an interesting story. So if you would have told me I would be conducting a children's choir in 10 years, I would have said, you're totally, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I would never do that. Amazing. I never really saw myself as, because again, I left that music education uh, road, you know, my freshman year of my bachelor's degree. So I quickly left that for the vocal performance kind of master's DMA heading all the way to the terminal degree and out of college. So I, I headed to that, um, path pretty, pretty quickly, but, um, you know, seasons in your life change. I um, got married. I had kids of my own. So I became a mother and I became much more interested in, uh, younger people than I, than I ever was. I was never really a huge kid person, but of course I had my own kids. So I became a kid person because I think they're great. Um, and when we, when my husband and I moved to, um, back to the Caneo Valley, which is where I was born and raised, when we moved back in 2006, we looked for ways to get our children involved in music. We, we've never been a sports family. My husband's a, a professional music educator as well, a choir director, choir conductor, and a pianist. Um, and I, of course, am a musician as well. And so, you know, our sport is music. So whatever whatever that would look like. And so we, we were looking for a place to get my oldest um, daughter, Meg, involved in. And there was a group meeting at Oaks Christian High School, which is where my husband was teaching, and it was Los Robles Children's Choir. So Donna Young, the founding director, um, artistic director, was, was holding the rehearsals there. And so through a connection with Donna, we enrolled our oldest daughter in the, um, in the choir. You had to be in third grade at the time, so eight-year-olds were the starting age. And so she was in third grade, and she... Um, we signed her up. We, we started her in the choir and that was our um, initial connection to the choir. Well, we loved seeing how this pedagogy, you could take this, you know, adult level pedagogy concepts and, and, and distill them down in a way that was really easy for young children to understand, but still very technically solid and, and correct and healthy. And Donna did a really great job of that. And I, because I love pedagogy and I love teaching, I just was naturally kind of drawn to that. Oh, that's interesting. You know, just watching her in action and seeing what she could, the sound that she could get out of the children in these concert um, events. So that was kind of the beginning of our relationship with LRCC. And then Donna asked me, then my middle daughter, Olivia joined the choir and she ended up being, she was our one kid that actually ended up being a part of the choir from third grade all the way to senior year. She loved singing. She loved um, the choral music. She loved the camaraderie. And so she was our, Meg ended up um, stopping and she took up violin, but Olivia stayed the, the whole course and um, graduated as a, you know, for the, for the full scope and sequence, she graduated and is an, an alum of Los Robles Children's Choir. But about a year into doing the choir, Donna approached me and asked if I would be willing to team teach a new class with her that was going to be an apprentice choir for the even younger voices, kind of the emerging voices. So um, six to eight year olds. So there would be a, a, a little bit of an age overlap. You could be eight. And if you weren't ready for bel canto choir, the beginning choir, you could do the apprentice choir. And um, she had wanted to do it for, for many years, but she just needed somebody to, she was the only person conducting all the, the levels. So there was just, you know, not enough of her to go around. So we ended up team teaching. We ended up launching this, this program called Apprentice Choir. It's non-auditioned. It was 10 weeks instead of the whole semester long. And then they would sing one song at the concert. So they would get them up on the stage. They wouldn't, it, they didn't have to be too scared, but they still would get to show what they had learned and just, you know, seeing if it was something that they enjoy doing so that they could develop in that scope and sequence, kind of in that, that pre-reading, pre-singing you know singing stage um, to get them ready for that first uh, auditioned um, choir, the beginning level choir that's called Bel Canto. And so that's, uh, that happened. I believe I taught with her, I taught that class with her two years from 2010 
2010 and 2011. And then um, Donna and her husband, Robert, asked my husband, Ed, and myself if we, we could come to their house for dinner. And we thought, okay, well, I wonder if this is interesting. So we we went and we had dinner and they said, um, you know, we're, we're ready to retire and um, we've been looking for somebody to take over the choir. And would you consider stepping in as the, they asked Ed to be the new um, artistic director and for me to come alongside as a, as a director of some of the levels as well, but to act as executive director to kind of run the nonprofit. And, and um, I, I mean, it was just kind of out, it just seemed out of left field, but at the same time, it just, it was just the right thing to step into. It was something I think that Ed and I wanted to do together. And um, like I said, he's, his, his wheelhouse is um, the conducting end and the choral world. And he's, he's become, um, his specialty area has become Boys Changing Voices, which is very pertinent to um, children and youth choirs because it's an issue that you run into quite often as the boys run up through the um, program. And then here I was on the other end with the, um, you know, some conducting skills through all the grad school training, but really all the vocal you know, pedagogy, the vocal development, um, you know, appropriate repertoire selection, all of that stuff. And so it just seemed like the, our two strong areas would really complement each other in, in running that. And so we gave it some thought for a while and considered it and then ended up saying yes. And so for a year, we shadowed them and just basically were their apprentices for a full year learning about the organization and how the rehearsals are run and how the parent meetings are held and how you do tours and how you do the fundraisers and how you program the concerts. And and then at the end of the, the year, they we sent them off with a big, you know, um, celebratory concert and um, lots of love. And then in 2012, we um, took over the, the helm of, of Los Robles Children's Choir. Wow. So it's been a decade. Been a decade. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So the next question I have is the age range. So you're still working with sixth grade through senior year in high school? So right now things are a little bit different because of the um, effects that COVID has had on the performing arts. But but typically, so if we would say pre-COVID, we were running four different um, choir levels. The Apprentice Choir, which is a non-auditioned group for ages six to eight-year-olds. So basically first to, to third grade. And then our beginning choir, which is called Bel Canto, that you do have to audition in, but you don't need previous musical experience. And that is for eight to 12-year-olds. And then we have our Amadeus Choir, which is our intermediate slash advanced, just depending on the year um, and, and, you know, who who our, um, you know, who our roster um includes and that Amadeus is um for ages let's see so sixth grade through all the way through senior year so again there's some overlap you could be a sixth grader that's still in the beginning choir or a sixth grader that's ready to move into Amadeus and then we had a um an SATB so a mixed voice high school only um ensemble called Camarada and that is for freshman to senior uh level you know so ninth to twelfth grade singers and then for a few years, um, Ed developed a pull-out group called Colavoce, which was a combination of our high school group singers and our middle school and high school group. So the Amadeus group and the Camarada group joining kind of the, the top singers from those groups. So the singers that were really, this was what they were wanting to pursue. A lot of our singers go on um, into college to pursue pursue music. And so they want to do even more demanding repertoire or have more performance opportunities. So that was a chamber group of about 12 to 14 singers, depending on the year. Um, so some years we had five, you know, classes. Wow. So a lot of different levels. And then they all perform at an annual holiday wonder concert in December and then an annual spring concert. And then we usually collaborate once in the spring, usually around March with either another um, vocal adult vocal ensemble like an Arate or a Los Robles Master Crowd or with a symphony. So we've collaborated many times with New West Symphony that is our regional professional orchestra in the Canal Valley. Wonderful. So what is it about working with this age group that you find particularly rewarding? Mm, that's a good one. Um, I, I would say there's a few things. Say the two things that come to my mind 
The first one is there's nothing like the joy that you see on a child's face when they're singing beautiful quality music that has a theme to it that's hopeful, some kind of uplifting theme, which is a lot of our music because we sing, of course, only high quality, well-written, appropriate music for young voices. And so when you're singing something like right now, we're working on a song called If Wishes Had Wings um, by Caldwell and Ivory. And it's a beautiful song about a child's wish that has wings that soars up and the melody soars and they're singing in their beautiful head voice. And it's just joyful. And I think there's just something about just like in a non-musical setting where a child, you know, learns to read certain words for the first time, or they learn a skill, they learn how to you know, hit the, hit the baseball with the bat for the first time, there's that, that, that spark on their face. And we see that a lot in rehearsal. We get to witness that a lot right in, in real time in the, in the moment. And, and there's just, there's just nothing like it. It's very life-giving. And I think that's what has, you know, given us the, the energy, even through the pandemic to keep rehearsing with these kids and meeting with them and being creative and pivoting and trying different things because it's just so joyful to sing together. So I would say that's the number one thing. The another thing another thing that's just really exciting is just to see the children learn to work well together in a team. And we use sports analogies a lot um because a lot of our kids are involved in soccer or baseball or gymnastics or some other sport. And so we're constantly telling our kids, you know, this is not a solo sport. This is, you're not a soloist. This is a team sport. So it's important that you're listening. It's important that you're blending. It's important that you don't miss rehearsals. It's important that you look at your music and you're not singing in a chip monkey voice. You know, you're singing with lots of space. That's one of our terms we like to use. I love it. Um, and so when the, when the kids, especially the, with the younger kids, they're just so cute when they get all of their sound, you know, blended together on a, on a, on a line where they're just this beautiful unison line or in a two-part harmony. And it just, the harmony locks in, they're just thrilled. And, and so they know it and you know it, and it's just, it's a really, it's a very transcendent thing to just hear those tones lock together. And it's something that you can't do outside of, I mean, musically with your voice, you have to have a choir to, to achieve that kind of blend and that kind of harmony together. And it's, it's just wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I totally second that. There's nothing like watching somebody discover. It's really, really special, special gift. And it, it's a calling. It's something we're so blessed to be able to do. Um, so my next question, actually, you touched on a little bit, but I'm hoping you can give us a little bit more insight into how you guys navigate the fact that you have such a broad range of age, how you navigate the fact that those voices are in massive transition, so many of them. So any tips or any um, suggestions on how you guys navigate the changing voice? Mm-hmm. I think one of the, the key foundations with young voices is that is really staying with the basics of a bel canto approach to singing. So the bel canto approach to singing is that you come at everything from the head voice, from the lighter mechanism, from a spacious throat and mouth position from the top down. So everything is, you know, if you think of a sigh where you go, ah, you're coming from the top, that lighter top down, and you're developing from that foundation. You're never going from, like in musical theater where you would be going maybe from more of a modal, you know, more of a, a chest voice or what we call a belt, even if it's not super loud, going from that up into a mix. We're, we're never doing that. We, we, you would never see us doing that in a rehearsal um, because we don't need it for choral singing because we never need to belt out. We're, we're about the blend. So what that does is it creates a um, really good foundation of technique for the, for the singers, they feel confident going up into upper tones. So they're never, our singers are never afraid. Like a lot of teens that come into a voice studio that say, oh, I can belt, but I can't, I can't sing high. You hear that yeah. a lot in the studios. Our singers don't say that because they've been singing, oh, you know, with our ghostly, we talk, talk about our ghost voice all the time going, Ooh. Um, they're so used to being goofy and doing that, that they don't have, it's kind of removed that, um, that tentative feeling about it. And, and they're really comfortable there. 
And then what we do is we work to connect their breath support so that, you know, diaphragmatic plunge and that abdominal firm out, just talking about the, you know, upper abs, just feeling kind of spongy firm as they're firming out. We connect that to that top-down approach so that they're connecting their breath support, but with a very easy uh, head voice production that has a lot of space and allows for them to sing really legato and smooth, which, which helps if you think about it, when your voice is developing or you have cracking or, you know, you, you, you go from a mid range to an upper range, you get that little yodel. It's easier to blend that. Oh, kind of smooth that out as it were, like you're frosting a cake. If you've got really good um, support, really good abdominal and diaphragmatic support, paired with singing everything from the top down in a really smooth fashion. And so a lot of our repertoire is very legato. We don't sing a lot of punchy. Um, I mean, we, we do for sake of programming, we have stuff that, that moves, but for the 80% of our repertoire is selected for more legato um, lines that support that bel canto style of singing that you can sing in head voice with lots of diaphragmatic support so they get that connection over and over and over again so that by the time they get into the middle school choir they can they can lean into the sound a little bit more so they can in other words they could to use a you know pedagogy term they can mix into it a little bit more and not be so much in their full head voice and there's support there to actually help them make that transition instead of it just being oh i'm going to grab those high notes and hope it comes out yeah, <laughs> that's never a good recipe. <laughs> I'm just going to grab and high notes are probably two concepts you don't want in the same sentence. Exactly, exactly. So it sounds like it's a much more gentle approach from this, this standpoint of resonance, but you are still building some sense of technical foundation for those younger kids. Yes, exactly. And let's say we have a song that's more of a spiritual or more of a... um. Yeah, like we're doing one right now that's got a little bit, it's not as high and it's a little bit more in that speaky range. And so then we can kind of introduce the concept, but notice we're in the spring. So we're, we're toward the end of a year. So they've had a longer time developing the head voice with the connection of the support. And then we can talk about how do we lean into more sound that's lower. So more in our mouth and not so much in our head but not push the sound, not push on the pedal. In, in other words, not we're not going to grab, we're not going to yell. We're still going to stay really supported like we're talking like this, but it's not way up here anymore. So we kind of edge them um, into that more, what would be a kind of a little bit more conversational style of singing versus that really, you know, choral, um, angelic, you know, tone we try to get them segued into that toward the end of the year so that they can roll that into their tool belt of pedagogy as well. So it's not just everything is super light and fluffy. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fabulous. And I think it's really helpful because the next question I'm going to ask is thinking a little bit about what advice you would have in terms of specifically, you know, choir directors getting started with this group, like what approach do you think is the most effective approach with, children's choirs in particular, in terms of getting them technically from point A to point B, because clearly you have an idea of where point B is. So any specific tips for choir directors, any specific ideas about how to work with this age group that'll get them to do, to take this methodical technical path to get you from that point A, super legato, super lifted into point B where you're, where you're exploring a little bit more of their color without pressing on the gas too hard. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think when you're with young kids, especially nowadays with, you know, the kids that we're working with, their attention span seems to be, I mean, I've been teaching for 28 years. Over those 28 years, I've seen a real shift in the attention span of young kids, even older kids, but especially younger kids. I think because of technology, um, everything is so bite-sized and so, you know, 10 years ago, even in our choir classes, we could do chunks of things, let's say working on one song for a 15 minute chunk. I don't spend any longer. My max for one piece of music is 10 minutes. I never go over 10 minutes with one piece of music before moving on. I may come back to it, but that one chunk of time is, is max. Normally I'm more about seven to eight minutes, but 
I say that to say, I think the, the first thing you have to keep in mind is how do I use words that are engaging, that are fun, that seem like we're kind of playing around, but they all have significance pedagogically speaking, right? They all have meat to them, but you're not saying support from your diaphragm. We, I never talk about the diaphragm with my kids. I'll say, let's feel our tummy muscles. And when you laugh, it goes, oh, 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 and you feel it jiggle like Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. And they all know Jabba the Hutt. So they all think it's funny. And what you're teaching them is diaphragmatic support, but they don't know what diaphragmatic support means. You got to bring everything down to, and I, I mentioned earlier that we have a whole thing with the chipmunk that if you, if you squeeze at your throat, if your throat is small, you sound like a chipmunk. And so it's become this whole cultural thing of like, you don't want to sound like a chipmunk. You want to sound like a ghost. You want to sound, ooh, which makes the pharynx wide. So, but again, I've never said pharynx in any of my classes. I say, fat throat, fat throat. <laughs> Everybody make a fat throat. And so I think if you keep your energy up and you're having fun and you're thinking of terms that they can relate to, like, let's make fire engine sirens. Let's make, let's go fishing and we're going to fish with our fishing pole, fly fishing, and we're going to go into a, an ocean and we're going to go, woo with your, you know, you're holding your fly fishing rod and they're moving their arm like the rod. They're making emotions with it and you're using imagination. You're getting them to do these very technical exercises, but it's like hiding vegetables in your kid's dinner. You know, they don't know it's there. And, and that's, but you, but you have to get those concepts taught. So I think it's really important to be thinking about how to make the terms accessible to the kids, how to be high energy with them and that you're excited to, to teach them and learn them and that you're modeling well. Um, I think that's the first step. I think the next thing is um, kids, you have to remember kids today are not listening to anything that's a good vocal model. They are not listening to music. That, whereas when we were kids, at least for me, in, in, you know, in the 80s, in the 70s and 80s, I was listening to a lot of Julie Andrews, you know, The Sound of Music. I was listening to classical. I mean, I listen to records. That's how old I am. Um, you know, I was listening to stuff that even the Disney movies had these great choral, you know, the old Disney movies had the, ooh, you know, the, the MGM grand, you know, the choral moments. So that was part of my tone scape you know in my mind even as a as a young kid if somebody said sound like julie andrews i knew who that was and how to imitate her but but nowadays kids are are really listening to ccm you know contemporary commercial music and it's all it's it's just a, it's great i mean i'm a huge fan of ccm but it's just a very different production it's more it's a lot of it's more nasal a lot of it's more r&b a lot of it's more throaty a lot of it is um, much more belty. And so they don't, they, they're not listening to anything that sounds like beautiful bel canto, you know, children's choir music. So um, you have to be aware of that too, because you have to be able to provide them with good um, samples of, of, of things. You know, if you're working on a particular song, if you, um, you know, you're working on this piece, you know, you're doing, let's say, Cardo Milben of, 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 of an Italian piece, and it's a little choral octavo. You've got to make sure you've got a recording of a, of a really good children's choir singing that so that they can hear that too, so they know what they're working toward, and then be really um, complimentary and excited for them when they achieve um, the, the blend and the tone. I think another important thing is you really have to make sure you're doing solfege work with your choirs. You have to do, and I am not particularly, um, I didn't do specific Kodai training because I wasn't music education, um, but I got myself, you know, I got knowledge for myself, you know, after my master's um, and in, in between my master's and DMA work, I just, you know, talked to my music ed friends. I read some Kodai books. They showed me just the general, the hand signals and the general scales so that I could get comfortable with it. Because a key factor with children is you, they have to be able to sing a tune. They have to be able to audiate. So that's where you hear the pitch in your head without singing it out loud and then sing on, you know, on the pitch in, in without any kind of little pop style scoop up to it or any step up to it, but just right on the pitch. That's 90% of the battle. If you're, if you're seven and eight, nine-year-olds can sing with an open throat, so with 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 you know a, a light 
tone that's not pressed with an open throat and they can sing in tune, I mean, that's, you're, you're almost there. So then you're just building, you're just building more um, advanced technique, which is what you mentioned in the question of kind of moving into more where they show more, they, they allow more resonance color, you know, more, more of their own timbre and their own color into the voice and, and more depth into their voice, but without pressing. So without pressing at the chords or without squeezing the, the pharynx into a, a more closed position so they don't, so they don't sound chipmunky, right? Um, but if they have those, those, those two abilities, the bel canto style that's connected to support and they can consistently sing in tune, then you just you're just you're just encouraging them to sing out a little bit more and 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 as they get older, um, you know their little bodies are not so little anymore. So from a physiological standpoint, you can say, "Hey, expand the abs a little bit more." So go a little bit more, job of the hut. But I wouldn't say that to a to a six or seven year old. I just it'd be really gentle. But once they're nine or ten or eleven, then you can say, "Okay, feel with your fingers at, at your upper." you know, your upper abs, and you're going to feel that spot ex- expand a little bit more. Okay. That's your, those are your muscles growing and developing. And now you can ask a little bit more of them without pressing at the, at the throat. Yeah. They can get that concept a little bit easier. Yeah. So then piggybacking off of that, what, so a, a lot of questions I get, I get frequently from parents a lot, you know, I have this talented eight-year-old, this talented nine-year-old, and can you give them voice lessons? So my line is usually, that's not my specialty. And I only know a handful of people who are really good at that. And I'm not one of them per se, just because I feel like it is definitely something I have a lot of respect for those people who know how to navigate super young, super young voices. Um, But one thing I often find is parents don't even know what to look for in terms of what their kids should be accomplishing. So every voice teacher who works with, you know, I work mostly adults and young adults and maybe some late adolescents and teens, but you often see kids who have taken voice lessons for, you know, five years and you go, oh, honey, you know, you clearly didn't learn anything specifically. And you may have actually done yourself more harm than good in the sense that you're coming in with a lot of quote unquote technique that you just have to kind of break down and rebuild. So just in the, for the purposes of educating our parents and the audience, what advice do you have for parents and what should they be looking for in encouraging their youngsters in singing? Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that unfortunately there's more opportunity to go wrong with getting your younger child involved in voice lessons than there is with an older teen or obviously an adult. Um, because, you know, your vocal folds are very small when you're a child. Obviously, all your body parts are smaller. So I'm always telling my students, um, if, if you, if the listener, you know, the listeners right now, if they hold up their pinky nail, that's about the size of your vocal folds as a child. And then if you hold up your thumbnail, that's closer to the adult size. So you see how tiny your pinky nail is. I think people don't realize how small the vocal cords are. Um, because, you know, oh, they're in this big box, but they're really tiny. So, um, you know, b- because of that, if you get, let's say you've got a seven or eight year old and you get them into a studio and the teacher's just saying, it's great, just sing out, belt it out, which I hear from a lot of other um, secondhand from a lot of my parents of my singers. Oh, the previous coach or previous music director just said we they just want to hear them sing louder and louder. That was pretty much their only note is sing louder. That's usually a red flag um, because they're asking a, a, a young person that doesn't understand the physiology of, of, of their instrument, how to coordinate the support and the, you know, the, the subglottic pressure, the pressure that's coming underneath the vocal folds and even their vocal folds and resonance. They don't understand how to make any of that work. They just have an adult saying sing louder. And so what tends to happen, unless you get the rare, kid that within there are kids like this that just have a really good instinct to expand down low with their breathing muscles and it's supported but that's that's a rare event it's most kids are just going to give you that very strangled yelly sound from their throat and so they're just singing you know they're just kind of yelling out the sound and then they get everybody clapping saying oh that was it was so wonderful because it was loud so 
I would say your your best bet as a, as a parent or as somebody looking for a way, if you've got a family friend or somebody that's a, that's got kids that's that loves to sing and is wanting to get more training, I'd say the number one thing to look for is get them involved in a choir. If there's not a community choir like an LA Children's Choir or an Indianapolis Children's Choir or Los Robles Children's Choir, look around and see if there's a local church that has a thriving um, choral program. Because a lot of churches do have, if you look up, you know, kind of the Presbyterian church or Lutheran churches or, or Methodist churches, you look up some of the ch- larger churches in your area, you might find that they've got um, a kid's choir and those are free. And that's a, that's a great way to get involved. And, and there's less there because the kids aren't being worked with one-on-one, even if the conductor's not amazing, they're, they're still singing with, they're with friends, they're making friends, they're singing with other kids. Um, the, it's typically music that's a little bit more bel canto style in a, in a church. So you would be singing stuff that's a little bit more floaty. That's not going to have a director saying, just belt it out. That would be my first um, piece of advice. If there is not, some people are in an area where there isn't an opportunity for children's choirs. There's adult or maybe teen opportunities, but there's not something for for children. Then I would say, um, then if you're looking at some private teachers um, or private studios, I would definitely ask to ask the teacher if they've had experience specifically with children's voices or if that is a specialty area of theirs. And second, I would um, ask to see, to hear some of the kids in their studio. If you hear a really kind of loud, belty sound, if you notice that, and you'll hear this in studios where the kids are all, they maybe perform, maybe they're great. want to hear the kids be able to sing softly and medium soft and medium loud and loud not everything just at a 10 out of 10 for dynamic level and you just want to listen for strain you want to see you know are they does it seem like they're reaching for things or does it seem like things are the sound is connected and it's it's um you know conversational does it seem like they're conversing with me or does it seem like they're reaching for everything because if they're reaching for a lot of notes, that's another kind of easy way to say, well, you know, we'll, we'll keep looking around. Um, and I would say too, then if you start with somebody, if you start in somebody's studio, you, you want to see that even after, you know, let's say your child takes, you know, you sign up and you take a month of lessons. You want to see that child working on stuff that's very connecting, like stuff like sirens and lip trilling and scooping and speaking with support, stuff like that. If it's just, oh, we just go in and sing through our songs, which again is a very common thing to hear. You'll all ask students that have been with other teachers, oh, what were you working on for technique? And they'll say, oh, we just, I just go into my lesson and we sing songs. I mean, that's great. It's, there's, I have nothing against singing songs, but that, that's usually pointing to the fact that the teacher's not working on some kind of scope and sequence of technique. They're not wanting to build your child's voice They're just, it's more of a coaching, like we're just singing through songs, which again, has a place. I mean, if your child is auditioning for, you know, they're an actor and they're auditioning for things, coaching is great, but they need to be getting, I'm a teacher, not a coach. So I'm teaching the, um, the, the step-by-step building their technique so that they can then go and coach on any kind of, of song so that you can apply good technique to any kind of coaching, whereas coaching is not applied to anything else. Coaching is the is the end in itself. Hopefully, that makes sense. No, it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I, it's it's very similar to what I would what I would almost always say. Aside from the fact that I don't want to see you till you're 13 <laughs> or 14, because at that point, that's when I when I when my training kicks in, I'm able to really help you. Um, and I tend to say, let them play for a while and let music be play, and cycling back to where you or circling back to where you started, I tend to say, take piano. Mm-hmm. That's great too. That's great as well. Yes. You know, any, anything that builds your musicianship at that age, your ear and the things you need to build at that age, a lot of the technique can come later. If, if you are building a strong musical foundation, 
Absolutely. But if you are, if you are looking for an outlet and you do, you have no option for a children's choir uh, and there's no music around for that age group, finding a private teacher, I think that's, I think that that's excellent advice. Finding a private teacher that actually has some level of experience and understanding how to work with that specific, very delicate, very delicate instrument is important. You know, you don't want to have just the random person down the street that's like, I'm going to play the piano and tell you to, you know, sing loud. I couldn't agree more. It just leads to a lot of confusion for young people. And then, you know, frustration, especially through the change, because one of the biggest misnomers is yet, yes, girls' voices change too. You know, it's not just the boys who's, who are navigating those, those vocal shifts and changes. So I couldn't agree with you more. Now, looking forward to what you're up to, what are some challenges is it that you guys have had um, coming out of COVID and some things you're looking forward to with the Children's Choir coming up? I mean, hands down, the biggest challenge has just been the number, the drop in numbers. Um, you know, we just lost a lot of singers when things completely shut down and we weren't able to rehearse in person. I'm very happy to say that we've been rehearsing in person this entire um, season. And we have a great uh, church that we rehearse at where we're in the main sanctuary where we, we can spread out and the acoustic is good. And we've brought our pianist back on um, staff. And um, so it's, that's been wonderful. Um, but I would say for sure, just the biggest challenge is kind of rebuilding, um, re-recruiting and um, yeah, trying to build back up some of the programs. So what happened during COVID is we went from four levels. So from Apprentice, Belcanto, Amadeus and Camarada, we went from four levels to two levels. So we, we have a small beginning choir that we have allowed seven-year-olds to join. So it feels a little bit more like an apprentice choir plus, you know, and then, um, and I direct that choir and then Ed conducts the um, next level up, which is the sixth grade through the seniors in high school. And they're both small um, ensembles, um, about 20 singers each. And, um, but we're making beautiful music together. So I, I would say just the biggest thing looking ahead into the future is just the excitement of rebuilding a real positive is we had a lot of new singers join I mean we lost some of our existing singers but we had a lot of new kids um, join and new families and so you know choral music is alive and well in in our area Um, it's just like a lot of things we're just having to rebuild coming out of um, COVID we also hope to to travel again we were slated to travel to Prague uh, the summer of 2020 and so, of course, that we haven't traveled since then. So I'm very excited to get back into the rhythm of usually every other summer we travel. So we do domestic and then international and then domestic international. So I'm excited to get back into, into travel again. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing. I feel the same exact way. I cannot wait to take a group outside and, you know, get out there and sing with other people and, you know, experience music in amazing halls and amazing spaces. So with all that, I want to say a big fat thank you, Dana, for coming and chatting with us and just ask the very basic question, how can people find you and get more information about both your private voice studio and also the Los Robles Children's Square? Yeah. Um, You can follow us on Instagram, Los Robles, at Los Robles Children's Square. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm Dana Warren Rouse, W-A-R-R-E-N. It's my maiden name. And uh, to look us up online, the choir is singingchildren.org. Um, but if you do a search on Los Robles Children's Choir, you can find us as well. But our but our domain is um, singingchildren.org. And my studio is Rouse Music Studio. That's R-O-U-S-E musicstudio.com. And that's how you can uh, find out more about me and the kids and all things musical. Well, thank you so much. And I highly, highly, highly suggest all of the above, whether it's private voice lessons or working in Los Robles Children's Choir, or by the way, if you ever need a fabulous mezzo, (laughs) all of the above, Dana Rouse, the superstar. Dana, thank you so much for coming and chatting with me. It was such a pleasure. For having me, Heidi. Anytime.
That said, if you want some more information about me, Heidi Voss, and my work, you can find me on www.vossvoice.com. That's V as in Victor, A, S as in Sam, S as in Sam, dot com. Vossvoice.com. If you want to join our community of singers, where we support one another in our creative journeys, find us on Facebook in the Master Your Voice Facebook group. It's all one word. Master, capital Y, capital O, capital U, capital R, voice.com. It's a private group, but if you send me a request, I'm happy to let you in if you're going to be a good and positive force in our community. We love that. We love encouraging new singers and giving you all opportunities to expand and grow in your musical journey. So join us on Facebook or check me out on my website, www dotvossvoice.com So until next time, just keep singing. <laughs>